all my fellow nerds in the room, I need you here for a moment, okay? Um, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw back to what is the best video game of all time. Any Zelda fans in the room? Um, Ocarina of Time? Uh, okay, anybody who can name me, this is, this is Nerdfest right now. I will be both impressed and a little embarrassed if you can name this fact. Um, in the Ocarina of Time, there's a little fairy who follows you around. What is her name? Navi. Navi. That was my son who said that, by the way. <laughs> and so, I mean, all of you have played video games like this, where when you start playing the game, it has to, like, give you information because you don't know how to play. And in that particular game, which was all the way back on the N64, there's this little fairy that followed you around, and when you needed to know something, that fairy would yell out, hey, listen! And it got real annoying real fast. It was the only flaw in the game, all right? But that's the thing that happened all the time. Hey, listen, hey, listen. And these little dialogues would pop up with stuff that you needed to know, all right? The study that we're in the first half of this semester is, is called Awake, and it's about the word behold in Scripture. And I can't think of a better translation, honestly, I know this sounds super lame, but than that. Hey, listen. Like, that's what the word means in Scripture. Pay attention. Behold, look, see, notice, don't miss out on this. It's like you walking along and seeing something and tapping your friend on the shoulder and being like, pay attention, this is really cool, don't miss out on this. That's the word we have in Scripture. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, behold the Lamb, and that was the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. You guys, tonight we are in the absolute end. Jesus' ministry, I mean, he went for 30 years, you may or may not know this, before he really began his ministry. And in about three and a half years, he would go from no one knowing who he is to a lot of people knowing who he was, and then him being murdered by the Romans. And that's actually right where we pick up tonight. I'm going to jump straight into our text, okay? So, we start here. Jesus is on the cross. This is the moment that we start in Matthew 27. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. I don't know how many of you guys experienced, like, uh, the, uh, the eclipse that happened, I don't know, a few years ago. You know, spaces where it was kind of dark and a little bit weirdish, orangish yellow. Other places people drove to that were, like, dark, dark. This is what it's talking about as Jesus is on the cross, three hours of that. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling Elijah. Now let me interrupt the text a couple times here, okay? One, the whole Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that, that phrase that Jesus is calling out, you might or might not know, Jesus was at least bilingual and probably trilingual. He spoke Greek and Aramaic and probably Hebrew. And in this moment, he's quoting Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the same thing that David wrote, Psalm 22.1, and he wrote it in Hebrew. So Jesus is quoting it in Hebrew, but the people around are confused because they speak Greek, and so they're like, he must be calling out for the prophet Elijah. That's what's happening in that moment, right? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, sort of medicinal, hoping to dull the pain. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. They're still missing the point. Jesus was not calling Elijah. He was quoting Psalm 22. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, 
and yielded up his spirit, he's gone. And behold, there's our word. Pay attention. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook. Sorry, I need to advance the slide, don't I? The earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, that is a Roman soldier, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So this is the moment that Jesus dies. And the behold that we have in this moment is super interesting to me. Because if this happened to me, I mean, like, the, there are a lot of miraculous events I have just thrown on the screen. I'm not sure if you noticed them, right? So if I'm telling you this story about my weekend and those things took place, I'm like, you guys, you're never going to guess what happened this past weekend. I was out on this spot, and there, like everything went dark for three straight hours. Solar eclipse, or like, I don't even know what it was, just giant solar eclipse, and you'd be like, shut up, and I'd be like, no, I'm serious, but there's more. Then there was like this earthquake, huge earthquake, and you'd be like, I didn't see any of this on the news, and I'd be like, I'm serious, it happened. Huge earthquake, all the rocks split open. I mean, it even talked about dead rising from the grave and appearing to people. The, the timeline there is a little bit different because it says it happened after Jesus' resurrection. So that wasn't like instant. But all of these things are happening in this space. And then I was like, and there was this curtain that got ripped. And you'd be like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't fit. A curtain got ripped? Like, you should not have said those in that order, Ben, because that's not impressive that your curtains got torn at the end. After people were rising from the dead, that should have been the climax of your story right there, not torn curtains, okay? Why? Of all the stuff that was just listed here, why in the world would Matthew go to the trouble to say, behold, the temple veil was torn? Well, you guys, I think that is so clutch that we're going to spend most of our night unpacking just that. Clutch? Did I just get laughed at for the word clutch? Is that that dated? Okay. All right. All right. I hear you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So tonight, the question at hand is, why a veil? Why behold a veil? Why would that even matter? And it, Here's where that takes us into something deeper, you guys. For much of my life, the Old Testament, I mean, I've told you before, it feels weird and it feels foreign and it feels a little bit alien. Um, much of that is because we don't understand what the Old Covenant means. And so I'm going to unpack some things tonight for you guys. I'm going to try not to get super academic or weird with it, but I want you to be able to look at Scripture and I want you to be able to access it. I want you to be able to understand what it means I want, and I think understanding this temple veil thing, it gives me the privilege of being able to unpack a little bit tonight about why the Old Testament matters and how it's connected to what Jesus is talking here. And I think if you stay with me tonight, you'll understand the Old Testament in a new way and you'll understand the New Testament in a new way. And I don't mean like a new shiny way. I mean the way that it's supposed to be read and understood. Okay? So that's where we're headed tonight, looking at these different covenants. Now, first of all, what is a covenant? Well, it's sort of like a contract, but it's not, 
Okay? So, in, in other words, in a contract, you and I make an agreement with each other. You sign your side of the line. I, like, let's say that you're my landlord, okay? And you, you sign a lease with me. That's my agreement. I'm living at your house. I pay you money. You provide the house. I provide the money. That's the deal, okay? And if one of us breaks that agreement, the other one doesn't have to do the other thing anymore, you know? So, if you just stop paying, I can, or wait, it was the other way around. I'm paying you. If I just stop paying, at some point, you're going to be like, hey, would really love to have someone move in who could pay. That would be nice, okay? And on the flip side, if you showed up, or if I showed up at the house and the doors were, I had written you the check, but the doors were all locked and my stuff was all in there and you were like, sorry, it's not your place anymore, you'd call the police because you have a contract with me. You have to keep your side, I have to keep my side. That's the way that contracts work. Covenants are a little bit different. The word covenant when it talks about God covenanting with us, it's similar because he says, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this everlasting promise to you. But the crazy part is, if we don't keep up our side of the contract, he still keeps up his. That's who he is. That's what he does. And so we see a bunch of these in Scripture. They, they, uh, they say, I mean, I, you, can, you can look at this slightly different ways, but basically there are four in the Old Testament that we have. Okay? So, for example, the first one, God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. He gives them the earth. He creates all of creation, and then he puts them in it, and he says, basically, this is yours. Do everything you want to, except don't eat out of that tree. You know how that worked out, okay? But Hosea talks about how Adam and Eve broke that covenant that they had with God. He didn't break covenant in that. We did. He stayed true to his word. So we have this covenant that, that God made with Adam. That's number one. We have the covenant he made with Noah that we understand through the rainbow. Genesis 9:11. I will establish a covenant with you. Never again will the earth be flooded. He promises Noah that. He's like, I'm good for my word. I'm making a covenant with you. He makes a covenant with Abraham. Um, that one is Genesis 17:4. that he would be the father of many nations, blessed by God with land and children. That's the story Danny was referencing earlier. We see this through the end of Genesis. And God tells him this promise, I'm going to make a covenant with you, with you and with your people. And which is amazing because Abraham at the time is super old with no people. <laughs> so it's a pretty big promise to 80-year-old Abraham to be like, by the way, not only are you going to be a father, you're going to be the father of all of these nations that I will bless. And he makes a covenant with Moses. That's the fourth he makes this covenant with Moses. And so if you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all these books in the Old Testament, that's like God unpacking all of these different promises, laws, rules, all these different things that he's making as a covenant with Moses. If I can sum it up, the, the best way might be Exodus 6-7, where God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so he gives the gift of the law. You hear it all these different ways. Again, if you're starting to check out on me, stay with me here, okay? <laughs> stay with me. Because there's all these different ways that, that they call this by different titles in the Old Testament. You hear it as the law of Moses, the covenant of the law, the covenant of Moses, but they all mean the same thing. It's this period in Scripture where God says, I'm going to covenant with you. You're going to be my people. That's who you are. And in all of those laws... We had civil laws. That's how you're supposed to treat each other, how you're supposed to do life, okay? You had ceremonial laws. This is how religiously we're supposed to live together. And you had moral laws. This is the right way that humans are to behave or not to behave. And 
about through with that part, okay? And God said, here is what I want worship to look like for you. It's the only place in Scripture where he does that, okay? We could do worship however we want to tonight. I don't know if you noticed it. There's no chapter in the Bible that's like you got to do one song, and then you got to do announcements, and then you got to do a video. There's none of that, okay? We don't have to be on Monday nights. We can meet on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., and none of you would show up. That'd be okay, right? We can do it that way. Biblically, we wouldn't be crossing any boundaries. It just wouldn't be wise. But in this time, when God covenanted, covenanted with Moses, he, he did have instructions on how you worship. And he told them to build this structure called the tabernacle. The tabernacle looked a little bit like this. If you can see it, this, this is, I don't know, sort of like a cartoony drawing of it. And this is like from above. Um, I tried to just give you sort of a graph of what it would look like. But it's this huge, like, tented off walls to form a courtyard. And God gave them very specific instructions on every element of it. Now, I'm not, I could, I would, this is like a, a soapbox for me. I love the tabernacle. I just need you to hear a piece of it tonight, though. Because every Jewish person, every Hebrew, every Israelite for 1,500 years worshipped like this. Even when they stopped using the tabernacle, it became the temple, which was like a permanent version of this. So when you came into the tabernacle, if I'm looking up top here, you walked in and there was the altar of sacrifice. And this is the place where people got to go. This was like the outer court. The inner tent, this thing right here, which is this squared off section up here, only the priests got to go in there. That was the holy place. And so they could go into this rectangular section here, and there were three elements there. It doesn't matter what they are for tonight, but there were three different elements that they would interact in the most holy place. They had to wash their hands at the bronze, the bronze laver before they went into the holy place. But this little square right here, on this little thing over here, it's where all this light is coming from. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the presence of God was noticed by the people constantly. And that was unbelievably restrictive. You could not go in there. The priests couldn't go in there. One priest, the high priest, once a year could go in that spot, and that was it. And what separated this from this was a giant veil, a giant curtain. Huge. Like, you see the curtains that we have in this room? They're pretty big, all right? But take one of these... Take 10 of them and sew it together so it's about the thickness of a thick book, okay? And make it about 50 to 60 feet tall instead of the 25 that this one is. So think of this, 10 thick sewn, beautiful and ornate, purples and scarlets, and, and standing up 60 feet, because we're talking about the temple. It wasn't 60 feet tall in there in the tabernacle. But by the time that Jesus was around, that tall in the temple, beautiful and ornate, and that's what separated you from the, the most holy place, or the holy of holies. You guys, this is what the Jewish people knew as worship, and it was restrictive. If you weren't a priest, you couldn't come here. In the temple, actually, there were all of these staggered different courtyards because it was different for everybody. If you weren't Jewish, you couldn't go to most of the courts that were there. There was a court of the Gentiles. If you weren't a man, there was the court of women. If you weren't a priest, you were held on the outside. If you were a priest, you still couldn't go in the Holy of Holies. And only once a year could he go in the most holy place. 
And this was the covenant that God set forth with Moses, and this is what people practiced. Why am I going into all this detail? Because this was the reality, you guys, when Jesus showed up. They were still practicing this 1,500 years later. The Jewish people were. And that's what Jesus walks in on. That's what he spends his life ministering with him. When it talks about him walking near the temple, this is what they're talking about. The tabernacle became the temple. And this is the curtain that we're supposed to behold tonight. I know it takes me a while to unpack, but if you don't know that stuff, you don't understand why we're supposed to pay attention to that little fact. Now, as I was prepping for this this week, I was trying to think, because this is the most restricted access place you can imagine. I'm not going to ask this question aloud tonight, but I think this is great group discussion later. So when you're chilling with people later, I want you to ask them, what is the most restricted access place that you have ever been in? I'm, I, that's a good conversation starter. I, as I was trying to think about this, I'm not super important, so I don't, I don't have high security clearance anywhere, okay? Um, as I was thinking about it, a few years ago, a few of my boys and I went to a funeral out on the East Coast for a family member, and while I was out there, um, I you know, talked to a congressman's office and got us passes to go tour the White House, okay? This isn't, I mean, like, we're talking about the kind of tour that every average citizen can do, okay? So, not crazy high access pass, but the levels of security were obviously pretty insane. Even the parking garage that we went to, you know, when you got, you pull into a parking garage and instead of it just being the little arm thing, there's a guy with an AR-15 and a mirror going underneath your car and a dog beside him, you're like, okay, this is kind of serious. And I'm telling my kids, it's like, hey, um, please don't joke about bombs or guns or anything like that. Like, this isn't the kind of time where that stuff is funny right now. These guys, like, there's probably a room somewhere full of people who have made those jokes right now, just doing nothing. Please don't let us be in that room. And we had to go through all these staggered layers of security. And by the time you got in there, I was like, I, ain't nobody can get in this place with, with anything because you just kept going through x-ray machines and other stuff too, and then you go to a different area and you'd wait in a line. It's got to be the most secure place I've ever been in my life. I've been in a few like that, but that's the most secure. That still has nothing on this. That still has nothing on the most holy place of the tabernacle, which became the temple, where one person had access one time a year to make atonement for the people. This was restrictive, unbelievably restrictive. And as a matter of fact, I don't think that God wanted to create a picture of you need to stay away from me. I don't think that that was God's intention. I think he did want to create a picture of I'm holy and you don't just get to waltz into my presence without thinking about it. But there's more that he had to teach us because something different was coming. See, even while the Hebrew people were living in this covenant, Moses' covenant, the covenant of the law, this promise that God had given them, there were whispers through the prophets that something else was coming. This is so cool, you guys. Jeremiah, behold, pay attention, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You hear the prophet? Pay attention. There's a new covenant coming, he says. And the Israelites knew it. They were waiting for it expectantly. 
Something new is coming. You want to hear it again in a different way? This is the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Do you hear the whispers in that of we're not going to be separated anymore? The restrictions, this, this restricted area where the Holy Spirit of God is in a room and you look at that and you think, man, that's, that's for someone else to experience, not me. The prophets are saying, there's a time, there's a time that's coming where it won't be separated out, male, female. It won't be separated out between the haves and the have-nots. It's not going to look like that anymore. Whispers of this thing to come. And you guys, the veil being torn from the, whole, the most holy place of God. And notice, it was torn from top to bottom. Matthew goes out of his way to say that little detail, torn from top to bottom. How does a curtain? I, I could try to rip this right now, you guys. I could not, okay? I'm quite confident. You sew 10 of these thick and you make it 60 feet tall, I promise a human being isn't, rip, isn't ripping that curtain. And Matthew goes out of his way to note that the moment that Jesus died, behold, that temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. God ripped it. God ripped it. That thing that was prophesied of God's, God's presence being poured out on his people happened in that moment. And that's what we're supposed to behold. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus used this, this, uh, this language about, that, about himself if you've ever heard someone like give a communion talk, they might have used Luke 22. Jesus says aloud, this cup poured out for you when he's doing the first round of communion with his disciples. He uses this language. This cup poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Or Hebrews 8, 6, which says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that's much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on a better promise. You guys, God is doing and has done something new. It wasn't just Adam's covenant and Noah's covenant and Abraham's covenant, and, and then we stop with Moses's. Moses's covenant is when Jesus lived, but he says, you know what? I'm the new covenant. I'm doing something new. The veil that separated you from the Holy Spirit, that separated you from the presence of God, it has been ripped from top to bottom through me. Jesus says, and it ushered in a new age that you and I get to live in, a new promise, a new promise. That's what takes us from the Old Testament to the new. So what's different? What's different in the covenant that we get? What's different in our new covenant in Christ? Because we, we don't have to follow the Moses covenant. Again, that's not our story. It's a part of our story, but it's not our part of the story. Well, there are three words, I'm sorry, because I'm going to do a preacher thing right here, because there's three of them, and they all start with the letter P, and I really didn't want to do it that way, because that's, I don't know, it's just kind of lame, but I, it really is where the language takes me, okay? We understand the new covenant, that we have a different understanding of God's presence, a different understanding of God's power, and a different understanding of our purpose, Purpose we're going to talk about two weeks from now, but tonight, as I finish this out, I want to talk about what it means to live in the new covenant, in the power of God, in the presence of God. So that's where we're going to land tonight. 
So first of all, in the new covenant, his presence is poured out on us, all of us. Take that in for just a second. In the new covenant, his presence is poured out for us or on us, all of us. In the Old Covenant, only a few people knew the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Like, if you go and read the Old Testament, I wrote down a few of them. Who was anointed with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, Moses was. That's in Numbers 11. Joshua was. That's in Deuteronomy 34. David was. That's in Psalms. Solomon was. That's in 1 Kings. There are a few other judges and kings. But you guys, people might have gone their whole lives never knowing someone who was given the gift of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. How different it is where God's like, you know what? The Holy Spirit is poured out on you, church, on you. If you're here tonight and you've given your life over to Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's okay if that doesn't describe you and you're in the room. But if you're in the room tonight and you have laid your life at the feet of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has empowered your life. That was a privilege that most generations didn't know and was rare for millennia, but it is not rare anymore. Through Christ in the new covenant, his presence is poured out on you and on me. And some of you are like, I don't feel that. <laughs> well, wake up to this theological reality that that is true in your life. And it tires me sometimes of living in a church where I don't think people see this and believe it, that we are empowered and God's spirit has been poured out on his people. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say to the churches in Galatia. He says, the law was our guardian. That's Moses' law, the old covenant he's talking about, until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. That's the new covenant through Jesus. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. No more of the separation. No more of the restriction. He's saying, you know what? You are just as close to God as the high priest is now. Which to a Jewish person would have been like, oh, don't like that. That sounds blasphemous. But Paul is definitely telling us here, you can see it in his language, there's, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We don't have those barriers or restrictions anymore. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of them. The prophets were right. The Holy Spirit was going to come, and this is what it looked like. Again, Jesus said it was going to happen. If you don't, trust me, go read John 14 through 17 this week. And listen, multiple times in those texts, Jesus was very plain with his disciples. He kept on saying, I'm going to go away, you guys. I'm going to go away. But I'm sending you a helper. He uses that word. In one of the passages, I think it's, I'll give you the actual text here. Um, uh, John 16, 7. He says to the disciples, you guys, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because you need the one I'm sending to you. You need the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 1, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he says it again. He says, you guys, wait in Jerusalem because power is going to come on you. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is unleashed, and there it is. There it is, and it changes everything. The church starts to grow like wildfire. So some of you tonight are like, I did not come for a survey of the Old Testament. I did not show up for that seminary class tonight. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about the Old Covenant? Because you guys, when Jesus drops the mic, 
when it comes to the veil being torn from top to bottom, that means nothing to you until you realize that the veil represented separation. It meant you didn't have access. It meant you weren't good enough. It meant you weren't qualified. It meant you were restricted. It meant your VIP pass didn't work in that space. And now all of that stuff is garbage because you have access to the Holy Spirit who has been poured out on you. Second promise is like it. In the new covenant, his power works within us. The new covenant, his power works within us. Just to make sure you're awake, I want you to repeat this with me. Our God is with us. Our God is present. Our God doesn't come and go. Say it one more time. Our God is with us. Our God is present. Our God doesn't come and go. And beyond that, you guys, we look at the second promise that he works inside of us. He works inside of us. Sometimes we expect, I think, that God will work through other people. You look at him and you're like, well, yeah, I, she's got her life together, so I expect that God's going to work through her. He, I think he's, he's got all these gifts and talents. God will work through him. You guys, what if the power of the Holy Spirit present in our lives means that God wants to work in you? to do miraculous things. I want you to think of some of the things that the Holy Spirit happened to do in Scripture. Do you know? I mean, during Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit was the one that was performing miracles, raising people from the dead, calming storms, doing, doing all of this work in the life and ministry of Christ. It continued while the apostles were doing ministry. People healed of diseases, blind people seeing when Paul and Silas were stuck in prison, God absolutely rattled that jail cell open. I mean, the Holy Spirit is doing all of these different works. Do you think he's stopped? Do you think he's less powerful now? Do you think we tamed him? Like he's our pet? I think God wants to do all of that stuff now. I think God has the ability to perform those kinds of miracles today. I think that God has the ability to transform you and your life and your family and the people around you. I think the gospel will do that. The love of Christ will bring healing and resurrection in places that you didn't know was possible. That's the new covenant that you get to live in, follower of Jesus. Just look at a couple of scriptures. We could have many. I struggled, you guys. I had a lot of scripture laid out for tonight. It was hard for me to narrow it down. Just look at these two. All glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's a lot. In Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If I had you come in the door tonight and sit and just stare at those verses for 35 minutes, it would have been worth your time if they had sunk in. Do you know that God is at work within you and can work in a way that's greater than you can even understand or imagine or that you can think about? That the dreams that you have where you're like, God, I give this to you because I can't even imagine this happening. I think from God's perspective, he's like, that's cute, but there's more. There's more that you can't imagine. There's more that you can't understand. Tap into that with me, God says. Let's go deeper with that. Or holy cow, Romans. 
the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, if that doesn't do something inside of you, then you're broken. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. You guys, all of this flows out of an old covenant that isn't true for us anymore. It's been fulfilled. Jesus made it clear. That one's not broken. <laughs> it was just incomplete. And God said it's time for a new covenant in Christ. And in this, his presence is with you. I know sometimes you all don't feel that. I know I don't feel that. But did you notice in our text even Jesus didn't feel that? What did he cry out from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from me? Was that true? No. God hadn't forsaken him, but we feel that way. So do you sometimes. But the temple veil being torn, we can stare that in the face. We can look at that and say, you know what? By that promise, I am not abandoned. I am not forsaken. My God is with me. The Holy Spirit is present in me. Where I go, he is, because I'm the new tabernacle, Scripture says. I don't feel like it at times, but that's what the truth of Scripture is that lives in me. And beyond that, that power can work through me. By God's glory, because I don't deserve it you guys. I speak that truth out loud with a whole lot of humility because there ain't nothing I got going on that deserves the Holy Spirit doing that kind of work, and the same is true with you. But when we submit our lives to the Lord, he's like, you know what? Holy Spirit, power flowing through your veins like rocket fuel. I want to live in that kind of an empowered church world with people who love Jesus and want to submit to him that way. And I'm just inviting you into that space. Do you realize, follower of Jesus, that in the new covenant, his Holy Spirit has been poured out on you, which means he is present, and it means his power is at work within you. Let's live in that reality, yeah? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I pray for those in this room who, uh, who are doubting that truth, that struggle with feeling that you're present, uh, that struggle with even living in a new, rea- new reality, that they're living in an old covenant, um, wanting to just impress you with what they do and earn, their, earn your love, Christ, and I'm so grateful that doesn't work. And so I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit grateful for your power, grateful for your presence, grateful that you're willing to work through us, Jesus, and partner with us. And I pray you'd reveal yourself tonight, through this week, in our small groups, um, at our fall retreat. God, just in the quiet spaces of morning and evening, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be real, present, speaking, active, working. Help us to pray bigger prayers and dream bigger miracles, Jesus, and submit them to you. We pray all this in your name, Christ. Amen.